0: Now, remember that nuclear bunker hidden behind the drapes of the luxury hotel? Earlier in the episode, we heard about the Greenbrier facility hidden under a golf course in West Virginia. But who would have ended up in that bunker? And what kind of plans did the government have in place if tensions between the U.S. and Russia had boiled over during the Cold War? How was the nation going to pull itself back together and carry on? Writer and historian Garrett Graff. Garrett Graff is the author of Raven Rock, the story of the U.S. government's secret plan to save itself while the rest of us die.
1: The Cog plans, uh, which are still in effect today, the continuity of government plans. They uh, they deal with how the U.S. government would keep functioning after a catastrophic attack, you know, which used to be primarily a nuclear attack. Today, you know, it incorporates a a wider set of WMD and terror uh, attack scenarios on the Capitol. And the goal of it is to effectively ensure that there is always someone left to run the government. So... Through the Cold War, even up to the present day, most government agencies have basically an A-team, a B-team, and a C-team. And in an emergency, each of those teams would be dispatched to a different relocation facility, different bunker, different evacuation site. Uh, And your A team would have been basically your your existing office holders, um, your cabinet secretaries, your president, your vice president. And then your B team would be their deputies. And then the C team would be sort of the deputies' deputies. Mm -hmm. And the hope would be that at least one of those teams somewhere in the country would survive and be able to emerge from the rubble and declare themselves the new leaders of the United States. And you know, we think of, for instance, presidential succession as this relatively straightforward thing about the president, the vice president, the speaker of the House, right. the president pro tem of the Senate, secretary of state, on down. But what what most people don't understand is that each of those cabinet secretaries has their own line of succession. Right. So when you talk about the, the presidency, you know, when you talk about the president, that's one person. When you talk about the office of the presidency, right. that's actually several hundred people. Were there to be a nuclear attack, how many
0: um, people could this Greenbrier facility – house uh, on in you know, pr- presumably pretty long period of time.
1: It was well over a thousand people could have stayed in, in this facility. All of the members of Congress, their staffs, uh, support staff, you know, a security team. Uh, and then part of what made so many of these uh, relocation plans strange over the course of the Cold War was they didn't include families. You would sort of leave your family behind to fend for themselves as you were evacuated away. And this was not an unknown problem. This was literally something that was spotted in the first uh, first ever U.S. government evacuation drill, Operation Alert 1954, when Dwight Eisenhower and his cabinet – And all of their secretaries were evacuated out to Mount Weather, which is the big presidential bunker in Berryville, Virginia. And all of the wives of the cabinet stayed at home playing cards through the afternoon and gave their husbands (laughs) a very chilly reception when they came home uh, at the end of the drill. And then Congress tried to deal with this. They actually set aside... Uh, Some of the meeting areas at the Greenbrier that were outside of the blast doors for members of Congress to bring their families, wives, children, spouses, uh, and they would have sort of slept on cots in the main meeting facilities of the – um, of the Greenbrier. so I don't I, I don't know that that would have necessarily gone over any better. Hey, honey, y- you and the kids, <laughs> you bunk down in these cots. Uh, daddy's gonna be just behind the blast door um, uh, you know, in in the secure part of the bunker in case uh, in case all of the rest of you are killed in an atomic blast.
0: It's <laughs> that's that's just too much. Well, speaking of too much, um, you know that I have to ask you about Dr. Strangelove. And in Dr. Strangelove, perhaps the most famous scene, Dr. Strangelove is asked by, you know, the president in the film, well, how do I decide who goes down into the bunker? And uh, Dr. Strangelove famously answers, well, that would not be necessary, Mr. President. That could easily be accomplished with a computer. And a computer... Could be set and programmed to accept factors from youth health, sexual fertility, intelligence, and the cross section of necessary skills. Of course, it would be absolutely vital that our top government and military men be included to foster and impart the required principles of leadership and tradition. Naturally, they would breed prodigiously. <laughs> there would be much time and little to do. Ah, but with proper breeding techniques and a ratio of, of, say, 10 females to each male, I would guess that they could then work their way back to the present gross national product in, say, uh, 20 years. How close did they come to actually describing the real plan? Uh,
1: So what's so funny to me about these plans is that in almost every case... You actually can't come up with satire that is stranger <laughs> than what the truth of these plans would have actually been. Um, uh, so uh, I'll answer uh, sort of your direct question and then sort of talk a little bit more about Dr. Strangelove. Uh, they, that sort of whole idea uh, of Dr. Strangelove was, of course, based on some of the theorists at the time, Herman Kahn. Sure. Thomas Schilling, some of the others uh, from the Rand Corporation who were working on this. And and in part, it it was because of their calculations. And this is, uh, you know, this is sort of dark to think about it even in these terms. But they were, even under the worst case scenarios that war planners came up with during the Cold War, uh, about 60 million Americans would still survive the initial attacks so there was never a, a sen- there was never a scenario where they were sort of looking to get people into the bunkers for reproductive purposes which is sort of for some reason the thing that everyone uh, everyone's minds al- al- always jumps to when when we start talking about this subject uh, so the goal was to basically get government officials Uh, enough of a functioning government into these bunkers in order to ensure that there was sort of some semblance of order for those 60 million Americans who would survive. But it did involve this incredible – Uh, A reimagining of how the U.S. government would function, that basically every U.S. government agency has, uh, many of them still today, sort of a post-apocalyptic analog of what their responsibilities would have been. So. The post office was the agency that was in charge of registering the dead and figuring out who was still alive after an attack. Hmm. Uh, The National Park Service was actually the agency that was in charge of running the refugee camps because the thinking was that the refugees from the cities would flee out into undisturbed national parks. Um, And so you would be housed as a nuclear war survivor in Yosemite or Yellowstone or the Blue Ridge Mountains.
0: That is just incredible. Well, what is the protocol today for evacuating a president?
1: So the protocol, uh, so, you know, we've spent all of this time talking about underground bunkers, and and actually the protocol by the end of the Cold War was not to put the president underground at all. Hmm. It was to put him aboard uh, a converted uh, 747 known as an E-4B, an Air Force plane codenamed Night Watch that wa- would have served as the presidential, uh, the what was known as the National Emergency Airborne Command Post, the kneecap. And uh, through <laughs> all of- hold,
0: hold, hold, hold. The kneecap? The kneecap.
1: The <laughs> kneecap and the one of these 747s the the nightwatch planes has shadowed the president ever since the 19 late 1970s wherever he goes they're never very far away when they when the president travels overseas one of these planes travels to an adjacent airport and sort of waits there in case uh, of an evacuation and the president uh, would have been sort of put aboard one of these uh, E 4B Nightwatch planes and could have led nuclear war from the sky for three days while the plane circled and uh, flew wherever it needed to fly to land the president at a secure location. And as we are sitting here talking today, one of these planes is sitting on a runway at Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha, Nebraska, and it's fully staffed and its engines are turning. And it could launch in less than 15 minutes to rendezvous with the president wherever he is. Hmm. And, you know, 365 days a year, there's one of these four planes sitting on the runway ready to go in the event of a nuclear catastrophe.